0: Support for Utah Women 2020 is provided in part by our members and the Utah Women's Giving Circle, a grassroots community with everyday philanthropists raising the questions and raising the funds to empower Utah women and girls. Information available at utahwomensgivingcircle.com. And Utah State University Center for Women and Gender, providing a professional and social climate to enhance opportunities through learning, discovery, and engagement. Information available at cwg.usu.edu.
1: Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Here's what the organizers of the National Women's March are saying. The 2017 Women's March inspired hundreds of women to run, millions more to vote, and dozens to win elected office. The 2019 Women's March marks two years of resistance to the Trump presidency, two years of training new activists, and two years of building power. And this time we're coming back with an agenda. They go on to say, hashtag women's wave is coming. Uh, We have uh, several women who are participating in the Women's March in Logan for 2019. That is happening on uh, Saturday, uh, beginning at noon, uh, gathering at the Historic Courthouse in downtown Logan. And uh, we have with us uh, on the phone Lex Scott with uh, Black Lives Matter uh, Utah. Welcome to the program.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: And uh, before we went on the air, Lex, you said you represent another organization as well. I didn't catch that.
2: Uh,
1: the United Front Civil Rights Organization. United Front Civil Rights or- Organization. Okay, uh, we also have with us uh, Christy Glass, who is professor of sociology, and uh, you're representing Real Women Run.
2: That's so,
3: right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. And uh, we have uh, Karina Adeline Brown, who did run, right? You ran recently.
4: Yes, I did run f- run for office for Utah House of Representatives District Five.
1: Okay, and you're described as a healthcare advocate as well.
4: Yes, I. I've been involved in healthcare advocacy the last few years, and I'm one of the five sponsors of Proposition 3, which was on the ballot.
1: Okay, and passed? Yes, it did. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we have uh, also uh, Devin Isaacs with the American Society of Indian Psychologists. You're also a student at USU?
5: I am a student. And I think more than just representing the Society of Indian Psychologists, I'm here representing the student voice and how we can sort of get involved in activist events and promoting uh, women's rights. And so I, I thank you, Wado, thank you for having me here.
1: Okay, great. Uh, so a diverse group of, uh, of people, uh, did any of you participate last year?
3: Yeah, I yes. did.
1: Okay, in um,
3: Washington in
1: and 2016, you did mm-hmm. okay. Uh, maybe I could start there. What was mm-hmm. what was that like?
3: It was amazing. Uh, I I attended with my mother and some other members of my family, and it surpassed our expectations. It was loud and joyful, and uh, truly intersectional. Uh, the speakers included uh, women representing representing Black Lives Matter. Uh, women prisoners, Native women, uh, dis- women with disabilities, LGBTQ women. It was it was really inspirational mm. and so much bigger than I expected, and certainly than the organizers expected.
1: Yeah, this was huge. This was the day after President Trump's inauguration. That's right. right. Uh, so, what was your sense that that? Mar- it was my sense from afar <laughs> that th- there was a lot of anti-Trump energy there. Uh, was that the main impetus? What was the
3: you know, I, it, it wasn't. Uh, one of the things that inspired me and certainly inspired my mother was uh, the the mood was hopeful and determined. Um, okay. You know, Trump was a kind of a, a minor piece of that story, but a, I think a much more major piece of that, you know, of, of, of the energy was um, we're here and we have a vision for how to make this country better mm-hmm. and we're mobilizing to make it happen.
1: Yeah. Well, let me just go around the panel and ask you why you're participating this year. Let me start with Corinne uh, Andler Brown.
4: Well, I'm participating because each each March, w- I went to the one in Salt Lake in 2017 with our three teen daughters and the one in Logan last year with our teenage daughters. This year I'm participating also because I view it each March as a symbol of our shared humanity and, and working together to create a better world together. And I agree with Christy that I felt just su- such a sense of um, optimism and... Hope and positive energy um, just working together, and I noticed that there were marches all over the world in addition, so I think working together, um, creating a better world, uh, it gives me a lot of strength and hope, and I'm very happy to be a speaker at this uh, the women's March this Saturday mm.
1: uh, so uh, Christy Glass, you went with your mother. Yeah, you went with your daughters, you said mm. it's, it seems to be you know intergenerational mm. theme here.
4: Yes, I want them to feel empowered, like they have a voice and they they have a say in what goes on and, and they can help make our world a better place.
1: Mm-hmm. By the way, what was your what was your daughter's reaction?
4: Actually, the one in Salt Lake in 2017, there was a terrible blizzard and I was almost chickening out. And, uh-huh. and they said, no, mom, we already made our signs the night before. We're going. And so we, we did go and it took us three and a half hours to get home in the blizzard, but it was really fun. We we had a great time.
1: And uh, looping back to Chris Glass, mm-hmm. what was your mother's reaction to this? To
0: this you March? know,
3: she she wasn't sure what to expect. She was a little nervous. She, actually, she was nervous because she she was worried it would be um, kind of angry and and there would be a lot of animosity. And I think she left in, totally inspired, uh, mm-hmm. totally inspired to become in, more involved in her community. Totally inspired about this kind of wave of of you know, women engaging in their community in a meaningful way.
1: Mm. Let me go to Lex Scott next. Uh, Have you participated in the previous marches?
2: Last year, I'm pretty sure I had to give a speech that day. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, Um,
2: I give a ton of speeches, so I wasn't able to.
1: Okay, you were giving a speech, uh, participating that way. Uh, So you're participating uh, this this, this time around? Are you on the the speaker's docket, or are you going to be able to, to march?
2: Yes. I am a speaker at the Logan Women's March this year.
1: And Devin Isaacs, have you participated in previous marches?
5: This is actually my very first Women's March, and I'm not ashamed to say that. I'm very (laughs) proud that I've had a chance to to get involved in some way and to really bring light to the issue of missing and murdered Indigenous women. Um, And the awareness is simply not there. And so this is a great platform, I think, for me to get out and meet other women, other strong women. Um, You mentioned voice a moment ago. Uh, My goal is really to bring voice to the voiceless to say what what the women who are missing and murdered would say to other women if they had that voice. So Mm -hmm. this is a great opportunity.
1: Yeah. Maybe we could pause there. Um, Tell me about this. You know, we hear reports Mm -hmm. that is a very serious problem. Uh, Um, Maybe outline the scope of it. and Tell me a little bit more.
5: It's absolutely a serious problem. And the problem is really one of disparity and one of um, ineffective reporting. And so it's been estimated that one in three Native American women will experience violence in their lifetime. Numbers have been um, stated as high as 80 percent. So if you can imagine one in three women, one in every three women that you know personally, having experienced a major assault, a rape or some other victimization, that's an astounding number. Mm -hmm. And those that are reported Often don't go on to see justice in the way that they should. And then there's a the question of underreporting. There is still a lot of fear in Native American communities for actually uh, speaking out against non-Native perpetrators. So there there are a lot of angles at this issue that I think we can address in in this speech and in this talk. But the, it's the numbers. The numbers are astounding.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that is that is truly astounding. And, and so it comes, uh, you know, you, a subtext here is hashtag Me too. Right. But I'm I'm wondering, you, you tell me those numbers
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I, I wonder if a hashtag can mm-hmm. have an effect. What how, how do you how do we combat this appalling so, problem?
5: So I think that there's a hashtag that already exists, a couple of them, actually, um, MMIW, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls um, in many cases. But also No More Stolen Sisters has been a really um, a big movement for us in getting the word out. And we do really feel like women are being stolen from our communities, often with no answers as to what's happened, um, to what the outcome was of their assault. Um, many families simply just don't know. Mm-hmm. And so MMIW, No More Stolen Sisters, we hope to get some students at the sign-making event and get some of those signs out there so people can see that representation. Yeah.
1: So awareness, big piece of this. Absolutely. What, uh, law enforcement, what... Uh Politics involved? What, what are the uh, solutions?
5: There are some politics involved, mm-hmm. as always. Um, so the Violence Against Women Act has been a really big one for allowing tribal sovereignty, which means the right for tribes to rule and sort of set their own policies and laws when it comes to these matters. Uh, so the Muskogee Creek Nation just recently um, sort of brought to justice one of the first non-Native offenders through the Violence Against Women Act and some of the policy that's emerged there. Savannah's act was another um, large policy that that's sort of on the table, but has been stifled through the shutdown. Um, so it passed um, some of some of the mechanisms of government, but is now stalled out. Savannah's act relates to Savannah Fontaine um Wind, who was murdered in North Dakota. Um, her child was essentially um, stolen from her womb while she was still alive Wow! Uh, by some neighbors. And so it's a really traumatic experience. Her body was later found in a river. But um, those policies need backing, they need support, they need voice, um, they need people to stand up and bring awareness and light to these issues so that people understand that, that we can vote on these things, that we can get them passed.
1: The Violence Against Women Act um, for running, I don't even know where that ended up.
5: Um, I don't know, maybe some of our more um, yeah. politically focused
1: members can speak Be- to because, that. Because some things that uh, you know a lot of people would say are pretty obvious. <laughs> you know, tend to die a, a kind of a quiet death in Congress. Mm. We'll look that up as we go along. Uh, let me uh, turn back to Lex. Scott, uh, what's, wh- what's your message uh, here? What do, what do you most want to get out?
2: My message is unity, because women need to be united. We are attacked, we are killed, we have rape culture. Um, you know, I personally believe the majority of women have been the victim of sexual assault or rape. And we have this culture that silences us, but we do need to unite. So there are so many divisions within our own race and sexual orientation and, and everything. And we need to get on the same page here because we are under attack, not only by the government, by each other, Uh, marginalized groups need to, be represented and included, and have their spaces protected. So, my message is is mostly unity and intersectional feminism.
1: Krista hmm. Glass, you mentioned uh, you you felt it was very intersectional. The march you went to in mm-hmm. Washington, I guess that would be a, a goal, a hope for this march in Logan and around the.
3: Absolutely. And uh, Lex mentioned representation, and I think that's absolutely vital. My organization, Real Women Run, uh, recruits and trains women to run for office. And, uh, you know, one of the areas where we need, still have a lot of work to do, is making sure we have women of color, LGBTQ women uh, represented in our political system. Uh, we had this year, this year was a banner year. We had our first Native American women elected to Congress, our first Muslim woman elected to Congress, and that's amazing, um, but, but we're not where we need to be yet uh, in terms of representation and, and addressing the, some of the issues that Devin mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, We need not just uh, women deeply engaged in their communities like Lex, we also need women like Karina who are running for office and, 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 and holding office who can actually represent these issues in a, in a really formal way.
1: I want to go back uh, talk about intersectionality with uh, with Lex Scott, but I I, uh, I went to the trusty source, Wikipedia, for the <laughs> <laughs> a Violence Against Women Act uh, passed in 1994, reauthorized uh, in bipartisan way in 2000, and apparently I, I, th- this was buried. I guess I didn't I wasn't aware of this as a result of the government shutdown. Currently, Violence Against Women Act expired on December 21st, 2018, so would need to be. I guess reauthorized.
5: All right. The same with uh, Savannah's Act too. It's it's yeah. sold out right now. It'll have to be reintroduced um, when things pick back up.
1: Yeah. So uh, yet another casualty of the shutdown. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, Lex Scott, this you mentioned unity, and I don't know if that's in response to uh, you know some organizers, at least some participants in in past marches. There's been some. There's been talk of infighting. Among various uh, various groups uh, at uh, at some women's marches.
2: Well, you know, um, I represent Black Lives Matter, and we're probably one of the most controversial controversial uh, movements. So, you know, when when I hear about controversy in in any movement, the women's movement, Black Lives Matter, the civil rights movement, um, it never scares me away. It is to be expected. There is no handbook on how to run a movement there is no handbook about how to be a civil rights leader so that's not what i was referring to because it's hard to create a revolution and to sustain a revolution Um, but what i meant by unity is you know we have so many causes for women you know we need equal pay we need to be protected when they pass laws for us They need to not only pass the laws, but they need to be upheld. Um, And so when we have all of these separate causes, but we're all not on the same page and we're not supporting each other's causes, um, that's what I meant by unity. Um, And if you hear, you know, drama or controversy about the Women's March or uh, Black Lives Matter, I think the best thing to do is just to talk to someone from one of those organizations because, controversy is everywhere it's to be expected but don't let it keep you away from coming out and supporting other women
1: Uh, I'm reading from the women's the National Women's March womensmarch.com slash 2019 and as I read at the beginning the program um, this kind of surprised me a little bit Um, they said that, you know, touting the, the uh, effects of the women's marches and what's been accomplished, in the, at least in their view. And then, then, this, then they said, this time we're coming back with an agenda, which I guess could be as simple as the things we've been talking about right here. Uh, I don't know what, uh, I'll start with uh, Corinne Andalyn Brown here. What, what is the agenda you hope that comes out and, uh, and the accomplishments that you hope comes out of the Women's March 2019
4: well, my my agenda is with health care access in Utah and being one of the five sponsors of Proposition 3, making sure that that goes forward, the will of the people is honored and in, um, in implementing that uh, Medicaid expansion for the vulnerable citizens of Utah. But I think there's some other things that are concerning in Utah, some troubling statistics that I think other people might be concerned about that are marching, like Utah is ranked number eight for suicide in 2018, Um, one in five Utah children will be sexually abused by age 18. Um, We have some of the lowest per pupil funding um, for education in the country. And we also have the seventh highest drug overdose rate in the U.S. And so I think all these issues are concerning, and they wear away at the social fabric of our communities. And I think by joining together and coming together, we can support each other and in helping to create a better um, community.
1: Mm. Uh, So Christy Glass, can Uh, Imagine everyone's hoping for a synergy, Mm -hmm. uh, Corinne Corinna and Lynn Brown just said. Uh, Do you think that's – has that been a part of the uh, past women's marches? Do you think that's achievable here, that everybody comes together and uh, can can help each other with their agenda?
3: Yeah. I mean, one of the impacts of uh, women's mobilization since 2016 has been – Record numbers of women engaging in politics, Uh, women's uh, women voters, especially black women, Latino women, college educated women voters were more consequential for the midterm election this year than ever before. As you mentioned at the at the start of the program, more women ran for office this year, including first time candidates like Karina. Um, and as a result, both in Utah and nationally, um, we have a record number of women serving in office this year. And I think that momentum, including you know in the in the current Congress, we have a record number of women uh, serving in the 116th Congress. A third of them are women of color. This momentum, I think, can date back to to 2016 and the renewed energy that women had and and that they brought to the marches um, geared toward engaging in their communities in a really meaningful way
1: yeah uh, maybe I'll go directly back to que Brown why did you run what was uh, were you recruited
4: um I was recruited um, I was invited to run but I also I had some concerns about how state budget money was being spent because of my work as a healthcare care advocate I could see that the different priorities that I felt should be placed towards like education and health care and so my concern about budget priorities and healthcare care access um, and my engagement in the Demo- in the state Democratic Party led me to decide to run for office mm-hmm.
1: um, i I could imagine myself thinking uh, well maybe I could run I would be intimidated, I would think. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I really do it? Uh, I imagine an organization like Real Women Run can, can help. Uh, would, I imagine you had to overcome some of those barriers.
4: Yes, I did. Actually, this time last year, I went. I attended the Real Women Run training in, in Salt Lake. And um, at that point, I hadn't formally decided that I was going to run. But I, I went to the training and I enjoyed, you know, you know, all the speakers that I heard. And it was very inspiring and very motivating. But when I did decide Formally to run for office, and I announced it to my healthcare group of about eight people at the Capitol building. I was so nervous, and I was sweating. And these are people that I knew. Um, and, and then I, you know, told them I was going to run for office, and they cheered for me and were excited. But it, I, I make it analogous to like a frog going into cold water and then <laughs> gradually turning up the heat. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, over the months I became less shy about it. And then I was like talking to people at the gas station and giving mm. them my campaign card. And <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: yeah, I, you really have to put yourself out there, right? Yeah. yeah. Look at me. Vote for me. I'm the best. <laughs> right. Yeah,
5: Karina I'm, ran I'm, a brilliant yeah, campaign. Yeah. Oh, thank you.
1: Yeah. What was and now having run the campaign? What what's your takeaway? What do you what do you think? Would you run again?
4: Yes, I would run again. I'm not sure for for what yet, but I I actually love it. I love talking to people and connecting with people. We went we actually went to ten parades, and I love interacting with people, the public, um, meeting new people, talking with new people. Um, it's really it's really fun for me, and I'm actually involved in some some really meaningful projects after the election that I that give me a lot of. Um, happiness doing this this work. And so I'm helping with the, the Friends of the Children's Justice Center. I'm the president now, which happened after the election. And I'm chair of a building committee for a new building that we're building for the Children's Justice Center and combine it with a family justice center, that which will increase victim services for children and adults. And And I was invited recently to participate on the Cache Valley Chamber of Commerce Legislative Affairs Committee. So I I have opportunities to still engage in the community, Mm -hmm. even though I didn't win the election. I I feel like even before I knew the election outcome, I viewed it as a win either way. If I win, it's a win. If I lose, it's a win Mm -hmm. in different ways.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I need to make sure I uh, take a break here so we can get uh, some announcements in. Uh, we're talking with uh, several uh, participants who are going to participate in the Women's March in Logan. Uh, march will be happening all over the uh, the United States, the big one, uh, I guess, in uh, Washington, D.C. This is on Saturday, and uh, the march in uh, Logan starts at noon, gather at the Historic Courthouse in downtown Logan. There's a sign-making party beginning at 10 o'clock at 27 North Main at the storefront there. And uh, we're talking with uh, Lex Scott from Black Lives Matter Utah, uh, Karina Andalyn Brown, who was a candidate uh, uh, this last year. She's a healthcare advocate. Uh, Devon Isaacs, uh, a student and wants to represent the student voice, you said, right? Absolutely. And with the American Society of Indian Psychologists and Christy Glass, uh, who's representing uh, Real Women Run here. Um, I want to, before we go to break, um, plug an event. UPR is headlining uh, an event, uh, presenting an event. Uh, That'll be happening on uh, Friday, uh, January 25th. We are going to uh, be presenting a town hall panel discussion. You can find details at our website, upr.org. We're titling this Hashtag Me Too Continues, a town hall panel discussion. And uh, subtitling this, uh, we're all Uh, uh, I'll give you the subtitle. Where are we post-Kavanaugh post-election? I realized on air just the other day, um, you have these epiphanies on air sometimes. I realized I was still processing the Kavanaugh hearings. I I haven't fully processed it. And, of course, the election has a big event, and uh, we keep having news in in this area. So we're going to all get together, hopefully you as well, um, Friday, January 25th, 6 p.m., Lundstrom Student Center on campus and uh, comment uh, with your questions and, and comments and participate in that, that uh, town hall panel discussion. You can find more on our website and again the Women's March this Saturday uh, noon at the Courthouse. More following this.
0: Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members. And the USU School of Applied Sciences, Technology and Education Farm Bureau Young Farmers and Ranchers Club helps students become impactful leaders, develop personal growth and expand their opportunities in agriculture.
1: This is Science by the Slice. Hot springs are windows to fluid rock interactions deep within the earth, says USU geochemist Dennis Newell. Studying the spring's chemical composition yields clues about the thermal water's origins, he says. The water may be young, having recently fallen as precipitation from the sky, or it could have been stored in underground aquifers for tens of thousands of years. Chemical analysis reveals the water's fingerprint, a history of where it came from and where it's been.
3: This segment of Science by the Slice is brought to you by the USU College of Science, Offering degree programs in mathematics and varied scientific disciplines. Details at usu.edu science.
1: You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and we're previewing the women's march, uh, the the uh, nationally, it's taking place on Saturday here in Logan. Uh, the women's march is uh, Saturday at noon. Uh, Historic courthouse is the starting point. Um, on Main Street. We're talking with uh, several uh, participants there. Lex Scott is with uh, Black Lives Matter uh, Utah. Uh, Karina Andalyn Brown, a candidate in the 2018 elections and healthcare advocate. Devin Isaacs, who's representing the Student Voice, a uh, USU student, and with the American Society of Indian Psychologists. And Christy Glass, who is a professor of sociology and representing Real Women uh, Run. Um, I want to talk about the election. I'll start with you, uh, Christy Glass. Uh, we did a uh, program with our friend uh, Lynn McNeil. Uh, folklorist and uh, Jeannie Thomas from the English department and they were presenting the um, top digital trends mm-hmm. in folklore for uh, for 2018 my favorite was and I'd miss this our memes me voting in 2016 versus me voting in 2018 <laughs> and so you'd have a, a you'd have the incredible hulk uh, you know before before he he turned hulky and green and then 2018 would be the incredible hulk um I wonder, uh, you, I guess, and people you're talking to, does does that fit you?
3: (laughs) Sure. Yeah, I I think since 2016, um, there is a momentum and an energy among women to vote like their life depends on it because it does. (laughs) Um, You know, we have seeing children, immigrant children, placed in in prisons. We've had immigrant children die in those prisons. Um, Trans women uh, are being killed and assaulted at a rate that is astonishing, some of the the statistics that Devin mentioned. I think there is a renewed purpose to our political engagement right now. And in the past election and in the midterm election, we saw women turn out in record numbers, as I mentioned, both both as voters, but also as candidates. And one of the things that we know is that women when women run for office, they win. Um, they win at the same rates as men. So so the the gap in terms of women's representation is really a gap in terms of what women putting their hat in the race. Mm. And when we have women running, we have women. Re- winning. So, so in the current current Congress, as I mentioned, we have a record number of women serving. And in the Utah State Legislature, we have a record number of women serving this year. Um, but there's a lot of work to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, our record numbers don't even put women at a third in terms of representation at the state mm-hmm. level or or nationally. So there's enormous work to be mm-hmm. done.
1: I think all of us have seen the uh, the new, the, the photo, famous photo on the Capitol steps, the new Democratic Caucus. Um a lot, lot more women yes. more diverse I'll start with you Christy Glass and then anybody else who wants to to, to talk about this wh- what effect do you think that will have
3: well uh, research shows that there's a significant gender gap in terms of the issues that men and women care about and in terms of men and women's attitudes about a variety of issues from the role of government to health and social services to gun control to reproductive rights. Some of the most pressing issues that we face right now are. Uh, Men and women, on average, tend to come at these with different attitudes, different perspectives. Uh, so, we need not just women's voices, but all women's voices uh, to weigh in on these issues because that's what a democracy is. A democracy is, you know, the representation of citizens and citizen voices and citizen views. And until we have a full representation of uh, women, women of color, LGBTQ women um, across the spectrum, we can't really. Realize the full potential of our democracy.
1: I want to turn next to Alex Scott. What, what do you think about this? Um, uh, you know, more women, more minorities. Uh, I would imagine you'd say not where we need to be, but uh, progress in the in the Congress.
2: Well, I I love it. I love it. I love seeing the diversity. But you know, Black Lives Matter. We we're really big on registering people to vote and getting people to vote in their local elections and not just the national elections. And when we look at the last election and, and only saw 50% or less of registered voters turn out, you know, my focus turns to, okay, how do I get registered voters to turn out? And there's also a thought, There's there's kind of this this ideal that, okay, we voted a woman into office, good for us, we're going to pat ourselves on the back, and then they go back to their old ways. And, and so I'd like to see women be not only elected but reelected, and I'd like to see, you know, it's a start, what we're seeing up there, but we need to see that nationwide on city councils, you know, in the smallest positions up to the highest office in America.
1: Um, I'd be interested in your take on this, Devin Isaacs. Um, you know, voting. How, how do you get and you know, you're representing the student voice here? How do, I think young voters did come out in higher numbers, uh, larger numbers, I should say. Um, and I, I'm not sure Native American community how uh, how prevalent it is, but but not just representing those two co- communities uh, in general. What uh, about participation and about the results of the election?
5: So I'd like to speak a little bit more toward um, how women are being represented once they do gain office. I think we, we did have a, a breakthrough year for Native American women in positions of power, um, but also in how they're represented there because they they were allowed to come in in traditional dress and their regalia to have their family members present to really show how their culture impacts these, these policy issues, the issues that they face. And so, yeah, I think voting, incredibly important. We should have more young Native voters um, and it's been an issue for us, but I think seeing Native American women represented in the ways that they want to be represented is probably a more important issue at this mm-hmm. point.
1: Yeah. Uh, Corinne Andalyn Brown, I'd be interested in your take on the, all these questions here.
5: Well, I, I like
4: what Lex, what all of these ladies have said, but what Lex Scott said about being involved at the very local level. I think, you know, I have spoken with some um women who don't like the the women's marches. They don't like rallies. I was at an event on Saturday, with my daughter, Girls Lobby, which is the first class for Girls Lobby in Utah, teaching young um, high school age girls how to lobby and be citizen lobbyists, and several of the several of the parents expressed that they didn't like them the rallies and marches. And I said, you know, actually, I'm going to be speaking at ours on Saturday, but one of one of the speakers is going to discuss what do we do now, like what action items um, can we take away, what can we commit to do, and and so I think. Being involved really at the local level, starting from the ground up, is really important. Um, the city council just re- starting by reading the paper, I think, or knowing what's going on in our communities and um, attending city council meetings, even if you're not going to run for city council, um, just giving your input on different city planning issues, uh, things that you care about, or attending town halls, Um you know, s- giving your input on things that are up for review that the state asks for public comment on, like for example, the state health education standards are up for review right now, um, and they're asking for public comment. So some things that that are available to us that don't take a lot of time, and we don't necessarily need to run for office, but we could we could share our voice and share our opinion.
1: By the way, what uh, what did people tell you why they didn't like the marches?
4: Oh. W- I think sometimes well one one mother had said they you know people go and leave a lot of trash and then they, then they just leave and mm-hmm. I I get the impression that some of them don't like the what they view as anger and I think maybe some men and women are are scared off by anger but I haven't felt a lot of anger at the the marches that I've been at and it, and if there is some anger I think it's it's justified
1: mm-hmm. um yeah. I, uh, I'm one, I'm trying to, uh, you know, scanning the pictures from past marches, I don't think I saw any MAGA hats, you know, Um, I, are there, (laughs) too many, (laughs) (laughs) any at all, I don't know, Uh, or, or going uh, apart from that slightly conservative women, Mm -hmm. Um, how, how big a tent do we have here in these marches?
3: Well, speaking for my own organization, Real Women Run, we are a nonpartisan utah wide organization. We work together across the aisle um, you know we are our value is supporting women running for office regardless of what party they're from and it's been really good for me personally, um, these past two years since the 2016 election, to sit across the table and truly partner with women across the political spectrum, Uh, partner on an issue that we all care deeply about. Um, That has shown me that in this era of divisive politics and rhetoric, it truly is possible to partner across the aisle and to work productively to make our communities better. So from my own perspective and my own experience in in real women run uh, working with women of every political persuasion is possible and there's huge potential of doing so
1: Hmm. anyone else want to want to talk about that one i do yeah yeah go ahead
2: um i would just say to conservative voters and trump voters that the issues that we're dealing with at the women's march should have never been made into partisan issues Um, it should never be a democrat or republican issue to have health care for women to have um, people with disabilities represented to have indigenous communities represented to have black and brown communities and lgbtq communities represented to um, try to prevent and and punish sexual assault and to help survivors those things should never be democrat or republican issues and it's really sad that you know we all as women not all of us i mean there are more marginalized groups but women typically face the same issues and we shouldn't be told that it's a blue issue or a red issue so i i would encourage conservative women to come out because we all have the same issues that we're facing.
1: Lex well, I want to uh, follow up with you. Um, some conservatives talk scornfully, that the Democratic Party is just filled with nothing but identity politics. And I, I, I think that might link up to what you were just saying. That it, the, uh, I think I hear you saying that shouldn't be considered identity politics. It should just be considered, um, the, you know, the right thing to do.
2: Exactly, and you know. I don't like the word identity politics because it's just a way to kind of say, you know, we, we don't, we don't agree with who you are or, or what your identity is or what your issues are. And, and, you know, there's not, can I just kind of speak to the anger issue because women are saying, Hey, we don't want to come because of anger. I would say that if you've never been to a woman's March, how can you knock them? You know, um, I've been to so many marches in my life, and some have just brought me to tears with the unity of strangers because we live in a society where we don't know our neighbor, where we don't know the person sitting next to us in a movie theater, where we barely try to make eye contact. And you get to a march where there are hundreds or thousands of people who are fighting for your same rights, and it brings you to absolute tears. It's less anger and more passion. And I would encourage everyone—men, women, children—to come out and feel that, and to not be discouraged about something you've never experienced.
1: Anyone want to follow up on that? Amen, Lex. That, okay. I think right. Lex said it
3: brilliantly, um, and, and I and I share that um, that truly. Uh, uh, kind of moving feeling of of being amongst people who care about you and your well-being. Um, that's what we're allowed to do in a democracy. We're allowed to mobilize collectively and share our vision for, for a better world. And, and, you know, that's what this is. I think fundamentally that's what the Women's March is all about.
1: Uh, we're talking with Lex Scott, Karina Andalyn Brown, Devin Isaacs, and Christy Glass. They're all participating uh, coming up on Saturday in the Women's March in Logan. And uh, if you want to participate, that'll be, they'll be gathering at the Historic Courthouse, 2nd uh, um, North and Main uh, in Logan at noon. And uh, there's a sign-making party preceding that 10 o'clock in the morning, 27 North Main at the storefront there, and that's the Women's March, hashtag Women's Wave this time around for the 2019, and of course marches will be happening all over the uh, U.S., And uh, another plug for our event here at UPR, we're presenting a town hall panel discussion uh, that's titled Me Too Continues, Where Are We? Post-Kavanaugh Post-Election. That's happening on Friday, January 25th, 6 p.m. in the Lundstrom Student Center on the USU campus, free and open to the public. Uh, Come and we have uh, free pizza and uh, free parking available there. And that's part of our uh, UPR original series, Utah Women 2020. Bring your questions, bring your comments, participate in that discussion. Uh, Friday, January 25th, 6 p.m. on the USU campus. More details at upr.org. I, I want to talk about uh, running for office, so I'll direct this first to you, uh, Karina. Um, I read a, a wonderful, uh, I read Alexander Petri on in the Washington Post a lot, uh, satiric, funny, um, and, and very pointed and Elizabeth Warren had uh, announced her candidacy, or just about announced her candidacy. And uh, sure enough, uh, talk arose in some circles about, uh, you know, she's unlikable. Um, she's this, she's that. And so Alexander Petrie uh, had this uh, satirical article, Advice to Candidates. <laughs> and no gender involved, but you could quickly tell that this was satirically directed at women. You know, uh, be proper. Uh, be quiet, don't be too shrill, you know, et cetera, et cetera. All of these stereotypes that I think maybe are still with us. I don't know. What do you think, Karina Brown?
4: Um I think they're still with us. I mean, I, I think it is important to, you know, when you're running for office, to, to communicate well, to, you know, have good social skills. But um, I think women are judged harsher than men, I think. For di- for different you know wardrobe choices or the way they do their hair or things like that um you know not all people are critical of women um, that way but I think I think there is more criticism leveled at women mm-hmm. um, I do think though the general likability factor is important for men for men and women um, but obviously we have someone in office that doesn't sometimes have the best social skills. Um, So, you know, I think sometimes I think of of some male behavior. I think if a woman was doing that, we would laugh, you know, like, how could you know, how could she possibly do that? But if a man does it, it's like, okay. Mm
0: -hmm.
4: So that's what's a
1: little bit disturbing. (laughs) Uh, Christy Glass, do you talk about this at all with Real Women Run? Is that Absolutely. something that I would add, unfortunately, we have to talk about? Absolutely.
3: Right. In fact, at our Saturday winter training uh, this this coming week, we'll have a entire panel discussion moderated by uh, Evelyn Sanguinetti, the former lieutenant governor of Illinois, on these double standards and and the ways in which women candidates have to navigate these impossible standards. Impossible meaning, on the one hand, they have to be tough and decisive and competitive. But on the other hand, they also can't be too tough and decisive and competitive, and they also have to be feminine. Uh, I've heard stories from women candidates uh, where they're asked regularly at campaign events, who's taking care of your children? A question that we would never think to ask a a man candidate. Or if you don't have children, why don't you have children? Um, uh, You know, women, uh, we sometimes have have difficulty uh, seeing women as decisive leaders, and and that can really work against women candidates who have to walk this very fine line of being feminine but not too feminine, uh, aggressive but not too aggressive, um, because as Karina said, women are held to a very different standard.
1: Mm -hmm. I want to direct this uh, to our other two panelists as well. I'll go next to Lex Scott. Um, I'll frame it this way. Not only candidates... um, but sitting senators for say you know i'll i'll bring up kavanaugh mm-hmm. um, the candidate himself the nominee himself went to defcon 5 on the anger scale mm-hmm. and and you could you could say okay justifiably so from his point of view uh senator graham was an interesting was an interesting uh, uh, case he he also dialed it up to 11. um and i i found myself wondering and i, I know i'm not the only one what if that had been you know a, a female senator from south carolina I don't know what you think Lex got.
2: Yeah, um, and you see them saying that we can't lead, women can't lead because we're too emotional. And then we see um, Donald Trump obviously throwing a tantrum over a border wall. And I would just say that in my leadership, my name is Lex, and when I'm posting online all the time, People assume that I'm a man all the time because I'm, I'm very kind of, uh, gosh, what's the word for me? Um, aggressive, and assertive, and uh, you know I don't temper my speech. Um, so you know, as as a leader, when women are very assertive we are called aggressive it's seen as a negative but when men are aggressive purposely it's seen it as an asset and and so yeah i would say that women have a harder time but i would ask women to own our emotions yes i i personally believe that i am a very emotional person but I see that as a strength, because I feel like there's not enough emotion in lawmaking, and that there is not enough empathy to where those laws are going and who they're affecting. So I would say that we need to maybe not shame people for being so in politics and leadership, but there's definitely a double standard, and I feel it every day.
1: Mm-hmm. We're interested to hear, get your take. Yeah,
5: uh, like Devin Isaacs. Like so I get a similar thing with my name, Devin. People assume mm-hmm. that I'm a man and it comes with a certain amount of um, unseen privilege when I walk into a room until they see me um, and realize that I'm a woman and a strong native woman at that. Um, but it, I kind of like pushing that envelope and taking them off guard and using that against them in a, in a way, mm-hmm. I guess, in public speaking. But uh, it's different, I think, culturally, too. I think overall there are certain um, gender roles and expectations that come across for women to be very meek and timid and mild and to sort of sit on these issues and not have that voice and that public presence. And I think that we're seeing a lot of change with that. It's different for me culturally being a member of the Cherokee Nation because we were a maternalistic society. So women held places and positions of power. Um, They were decision makers. Uh, In times of war, they sometimes helped decide the balance of what what would happen for people. In addition to holding the the community together through glue. I mean, they were the glue of the community um, healers, medicine women and that kind of thing. So for me, it's very much of taking my power back. Um, where for some other women, I think it's for finding, finding your power for maybe, maybe you never quite knew what that meant for you in the first
1: place. Yeah. We just have a few minutes left. Um, I, I was going to plunge deeper into Me Too. We'll maybe save that for our panel discussion. Um, unless, you know, one of you wants to, to talk about that in greater depth. Uh, what I'd like to conclude the discussion is just uh, give each of you a chance to take the issue at the top of your mind, the reason you're participating in the Women's March, and and uh, uh, indicating maybe next steps or next hopes. I'll we'll start with you, Chris Colas.
3: Sure. I what what makes me hopeful is to see the powerful activist leadership that Lex Scott is demonstrating in Utah. To see incredible candidates like and, and, and policy advocates like Karina Andalyn Brown, and to meet students like Devin who are committed to making a difference for women of color in Utah and beyond, this is ins- truly inspiring. And, and, of course, all of the candidates who come through Real Women Runs training and the women who, who make that opportunity possible, that's what's inspiring to me. And if there is a thread going through all of these efforts, it is a shared vision for what the world can look like if it were truly equitable and fair and just, and a shared commitment to use this political moment as an opportunity to, to help advance that vision. So, so you know, that that to me is what Saturday is all about.
1: Hmm. I'll go next to, to you, Karina uh, Andaline Brown.
4: Well, I, I look forward to Saturday and I'm for the Women's March and for speaking and like I said, I brought my three teenage daughters to, to each march, and I look forward to bringing them with me on Saturday. And I also neglected to mention my mother. She was one of the inspirations for me running for office because of her lack of access to health care as a single parent um, of seven children. And so that that really got me involved in, in health care advocacy, and I think those giving voice to the voiceless, like Devin said it's so important, and my campaign slogan is your was your voice matters." There might be people that can't come to the march because of of some some type of impediment, whether it's emotional or psychological or or they can't advocate for themselves. so I think those of us that that have the thought that have the strength to do so, then we can do so proudly, and that we can represent them
1: very good. I'll go next to you, uh, Devin Isaacs. What what do you hope is, is taken away? What, what do you hope for progress?
5: Um, definitely the awareness of the issue that's out there with missing and murdered indigenous women. Um, that's really at the forefront for me. But I think getting students involved... Helping them find the platform for their voice, the ways in which they can contribute to these really strong societal issues that affect women across cultures. Uh, what I'm talking about with MMIW is specific Native American and indigenous women. But I think objectification, sexualization and dehumanization of women is a universal issue. And so helping students find their voice if you're afraid and don't know how to speak up or sort of where where your place is, search out other people, other strong women like the women in this room who are doing the work and find out how you can get involved. The last um, sort of piece of information that I want to give out is House Bill 1311 and House Bill 1313 is being represented by um, Ruth Buffalo and Fargo. And that would deal a lot with sort of police intervention with human trafficking and some other issues that would be pertinent to MMIW. So, if you don't know anything about those, look those up. Um, Okay.
1: Yeah. And uh, we'll uh, go. uh, We'll give the last word to Alex Scott. What do you? What do you think? What do you hope comes out of this?
2: Well, first of all, I love Logan. There's something special about Logan, so it's an honor to be speaking at the Logan Women's March. Anyone who's lived there. Knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I want people who are there for their first time to have the best march ever. I want every woman to walk away empowered. I want a safe, peaceful, and, and fun and powerful march for everyone. And, and you know, I have close ties to Logan. I have some stories that I would like to tell and and some lessons that i hope can be learned and so i would encourage everyone i'm bringing my husband i'm bringing my daughter my mother is coming up to logan for this and i would encourage men women children everyone to come people hear women's march and they think it is just for women well it is for women's rights however if you are a man or a non-conforming gender identity Um, and you support women's rights, I would encourage you to come out. We're going to have a good, safe, empowering march on Saturday.
1: All right, we'll leave it there. Um, We've been talking to several women who are participating in the Women's March uh, 2019. That'll be happening uh, in Logan, uh, starting at the Historic Courthouse in uh, Logan on Saturday... At noon, there's a sign-making party at 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, 27 North Main at the storefront there. There will be speeches. There will be the march, of course. And I'm reading here the Mama Longlegs Band. will be uh, performing the members of the USU Marching Band and uh, much else. That will be happening, of course, women's marches across the country as well. We've been talking with Lex Scott with Black Lives Matter uh, Utah. Lex Scott, I, I, I couldn't read my own handwriting. The other organization you're representing.
2: The United Front Civil Rights Organization. Okay,
1: thank you. Uh, and thank you for, for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Green Andlin Brown, candidate in the 2018 election and health care advocate. Thanks for coming in. Thank you so much. Uh, Devin Isaacs, who's representing the Student Voice and with the American Society of Indian Psychologists and the American Psychological Association. Thank you.
5: Moodle, thank coming you.
1: In. And Christy Glass, professor of sociology and uh, representing uh, Real Women Run. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. Uh, Just another plug at the end here for the event, Uh, Utah Public Radio is uh, presenting a town hall panel discussion. Me Too continues. Where are we? uh, Post-Kavanaugh post-election. That's happening on Friday, January 25th, 6 p.m., Lundstrom Student Center on the USU campus. Details at upr.org. Thanks for listening to Access Utah.
0: Support for Utah Women 2020 is provided in part by our members and Utah State University Center for Women and Gender, providing a professional and social climate to enhance opportunities through learning, discovery, and engagement. Information available at cwg.usu.edu. And the Utah Women's Giving Circle, a grassroots community with everyday philanthropists raising the questions and raising the funds to empower Utah women and girls. Information available at utahwomensgivingcircle.com. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and USU Dining Services' The Sky Room, offering soup and salad buffet and full buffet, located on the fourth floor of the Taggart Student Center on the USU campus. Open Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m.
5: You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, and also heard at UPR.org.